Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In this episode, I talk about a killer clown. I do a follow-up on the Delphi murders by also citing American history. I examine the disappearance and death of a girl and why it might have happened. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including some stats involving unfound disappearances. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for November 14th. Once again, on the internet, on YouTube, or if you're listening to audio, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you're listening or watching now, we meet again, everyone. Good to see all of you. It's Monday, November 14th, 2022. It's 9 p.m. in the East, in the United States. I'm doing fantastic. It was a beautiful day here in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Absolutely a perfect day. It's actually supposed to get a little chillier. I know everybody's laughing at that, but it's supposed to get a little chillier uh, later this week, maybe down into the low 60s. And uh, we'll just have to see uh, how chilly that really is. The high is going to be in, I guess, the low 60s. So. Uh, The lows will be in the 50s or wherever. But today was in the 70s. Absolutely beautiful. And in fact, I went for a bike ride today. Um, Before I get started, I want to remind all of you uh, watching live or watching in the replay on YouTube, please give this uh, live show a thumbs up. You know I ask for it every time, and uh, I always will. Please give this video a thumbs up. I know you like it, but please uh, show everybody else that you like it by doing that. You might be new to Unfound, never heard of it before, despite all of the marketing that I do and posting and everything else. But you may be coming to this live show for the first time. So you want to think about subscribing. Uh, Got a lot of content on this channel. A lot of true crime content. Yes, it's a disappearance podcast, but maybe you'll find uh, some other things I talk about. Like on the live show, I do talk about murders and other topics of true crime. So you might like that too. So subscribe. It's right there in the bottom right-hand corner. You don't have to go very far to find the button. If you're feeling uh, like you want to support this program, you could do it a variety of ways. 
right now is uh, right now in the moment. Maybe you just want to hit the join button. Being you're watching, you're on here on YouTube anyway. Hit the join button down there below uh, for a low, low price. You get some extra stuff that you can find out what that is by hitting the join button. Um, also, only during the live show. You cannot do this if you're watching in the replay. But if you're watching live right here on Monday night, you can hit that little square with a dollar sign. That is the super chat. If you'd like what we do here at Unfound, if you support what we do, try to help all of these people out who are guests. On Unfound for the last six years, if you like what we do here, hit the super chat, make a contribution. That would be appreciated. And then if you want to set up some sort of monthly charge in which you get some extra stuff, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. And there are a variety of levels. You can check out those levels by going to patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. So let's see who is in here first before I go any further. Karen gets in first. Nephew Charles, second. Talk me into it. Greetings. Hello to you. Kathy, the real, coming to us from Australia. Suzanne, Jasmine, Gordon. Hello, Gordon. With the, the, the fancy H there. Or fancy, is that what that is? An H? Uh, Puma. Puma. It's a great animal. Great name for an animal. Puma. Paula, hello. Lisa says, here's my second thumbs up. Appreciate the reminder. Uh, it's what I do. Lisa and Leanne, good to see you with the emoji and the little wave there. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, I have to start out this live show uh, getting past all the pleasantries in business. I have to start this out on a very sad note that um, and I, I that is why I'm pretty, 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 pretty sure that she will not be moderating tonight. But um, my assistant, Cherie, um, her mother got killed on Friday in a uh, tragic um, tractor accident. Uh, I really don't know how much I say, but it was not – it was an accident. Uh, it was no <laughs> – it was not uh, any um, uh, any felonies committed. She wasn't murdered or anything like that. But she wa- died in a tractor accident on Friday. And um, on Friday night slash Saturday morning, I'm still up. As you know, all of you know by now, I'm somewhat of a night owl. owl night owl? Yeah. Night owl. And... She just, uh, you know, I was like I said, it must have been quarter after the one in the morning on Saturday morning. And uh, she texted me. She asked me if I was still up. I said yes. And then that's when she told me. And um, Yeah. Uh, so that is what happened uh, like Friday afternoon, Friday evening. So I hope um, – I know some of you have even contacted – some of you know about this already because I posted it on Saturday with Cherie's permission that some of you have asked me, well, I'd like to send a card. Do you have her address? I probably do have Cherie's. I, I think – I know I told people that I didn't, but I probably do because I have sent gifts to my assistants in the past for all their work. But you know, I don't know if Cherie wants me to really give that out. I really haven't even brought it up to her. So. 
Uh, she can be found uh, on Facebook, even though she's very, very, very low key on Facebook. And she is known as Charlie Bravo on Facebook. So you maybe track her down in the group and maybe send her a message or something. Maybe if you want to do it that way. Um, like I said, I probably do have her address somewhere on one of these computers. But I don't know if that would be right to, uh, to give that out. So you can send your uh, sympathies, condolences, thoughts, uh, whatever you, how, however you want to put it, uh, to her that way. Um, I know that, uh, you know, she at least knows a few of you. She's talked to at least a few of you. I know one-on-one about cases and unfound and everything else. So I know some of you have gotten to know her very well. And I know she appreciates all the support, um, that she has gotten since, uh, Saturday. So, um, very sudden, very tragic, uh, a complete accident, and I was talking to my dad uh, this evening, and I was telling him about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just so, you know, um, as a, once again, it's a tractor accident. She explained what happened. I don't know if I want to go into all of that. I don't know if this was actually on a farm or something. But I can tell you going way back to the day when I used to mow lots of grass when I, um, lived at home with my parents. We had a large yard, three and a half acres of grass to mow. It took two and a half hours to mow it. And it was, you know, fairly straightforward. There were, you know, it was a little hilly, wasn't totally flat and everything, but you just have to watch. You know, we had a little uh, creek down the one edge, so you would get kind of on your side and, you know, you just never know what can happen uh, on that. And once it starts going, it goes and, I also know from my uh, ATV riding experience as a teenager that, you know, I rolled a couple three-wheelers back in the day, you know, before they outlawed making them. And, you know, the, you know, yeah, just have to learn that when that starts happening, you have to let go of it. You can't hold on to it. You know, you have to let everything go and try to get out of the way. You can't, you know, ride it over, you know, a, a tumble or something like that. So, very, uh, just, I, you know, of course I lost my mother. It's coming. It'll be four years on November 28th, but that was not sudden. Uh, that of course, unfortunately took a couple weeks to happen. Uh, and I really just do not even like thinking about that time. So I know what it's like to lose a mother, but, um, this is certainly a lot different. So, um, so once again, I hope you will keep uh, Cherie, thoughts, prayers, sympathies, whatever your uh, belief system is. Uh, just um, can send her a nice word or something. I'm sure that she would appreciate it. So, um, yeah, some people getting here late. Send uh, some people. Uh, Gordon says, very sad. The Real says, I'm so sorry. Julie G says, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, Jasmine says, her family's in my thoughts. Proven thoughts and prayers to Cherie. Leanne, so sorry to hear this. Uh, Suzanne, keeping her and her family in my prayers. Super sad. Uh, Gordon put in the prayer sign. 
Uh, no, hello. I just got on someone's sick. Uh, what I was talking about, and that's fine. Uh, mayor, mayor, um, you know, Sheree, who is my assistant who moderates this live show has been doing the moderating of this live show since I think the summer of 2018, her mother was, um, died in a, in a tractor accident on Friday. So that's what I was talking about. So there you go. So Sheree, I, I don't know if she's going to be listening to this or watching this or anything. We're all with you. And I did, um, what did I do? Did I text her on Saturday or yesterday? And, you know, it's all just very sad. It's just very sad. You know, yeah. I don't know how old her mother was. Uh, I really did not know her mother hardly at all, but Sheree told me that her mother was actually a Patreon supporter. I didn't even know that. So, um, there you go. Uh, so I had to start out on a, uh, on a down note, but, uh, I thought that was the best way to get into, uh, everything that we have to talk about. Just talk about it first. So there you go. Okay. Moving on. Uh, no disc golf to talk about this week. I've not done any disc golf. Um, it's kind of taking a break for a little while. I'm not playing in another tournament until December anyway. So uh, maybe I'll get out here and practice maybe tomorrow evening or something. We'll just have to see. Uh, so nothing to talk about really uh, in that. Um, Ryan D sends uh, sympathies. Uh, Mayor sends, uh, sends sympathies. Hello, Iman. Hello to you. Moving on, uh, of course, this time last week, uh, we were all, I think a lot of us, were engaged in the Powerball saga, finding out how high is it going to go? Who's going to win? Is somebody going to win last Monday night, or is it going to go to Wednesday? What's going to happen if somebody wins? Is a group going to win it? Whatever. Uh, and it turned out last Monday night after this live show was over, although it took there was a delay due to some security issues somewhere. I don't even know what that was about. But uh, one ticket did hit in California, of all places. $2 billion. Now, of course, after taxes, and if you're going to take the lump sum, it, come down, it comes down quite a bit. But still, that's a lot of money. And I was thinking, you know, um, Unfound has quite a reach now. I mean, it's not serial. Uh, it's not the Joe Rogan experience with as many listeners as he has, but Unfound does okay. And it stands to reason that although I don't know if the odds are very good that the person who won it uh, was an Unfound listener, but the odds are actually very, very good that an Unfound listener actually knows who this person is. So if you are an Unfound listener – and you're listening to this and hearing this, um, you know, make you, if you find out that it was your friend or even a family member who hit that, I, I hope you get a piece of that. I'm hoping you get a piece of that uh, billion dollars or whatever that person is going to take, uh, going to get to take home. Now, I have several friends in California, but none of them have alerted me that any of them won, but you know how this can be that sometimes people don't want anybody to know. And there are states where, um, you know, you get to be anonymous. 
And as I've read, and they've done interviews with some of these people, they a lot of times they stay pretty, pretty low-key. Because once people find out that you won, it doesn't even need to be a billion dollars. Even if it's just a million dollars, people start coming to them with their hands out. So a lot of them, they certainly up their lifestyle, but they do it uh, in very subtle ways. And so it very well may be, I don't know what the laws are in California, but um, there are states where you get to remain anonymous. Maybe California isn't one of them, but. Uh, I hope that this person, and, and it could be a group, it could be a bunch of people like at a, you know, some store or something all went in on one ticket and they're going to have to split it so many ways. I cert- guess that's certainly possible. But one number on one ticket wanted. It wasn't like people between California, Florida, and Pennsylvania are going to have to split it. It's all on just one ticket in California. I can't even imagine it. I cannot imagine it. Although I'd like to you know, see it out and see if I could control my temptation. So everything went back down to 20 million for Wednesday. uh, But now mega millions is now up over 200 million if you're feeling lucky. But so that is over. I I just think it's fascinating. I I really do. Um, How something like that brings everybody together. Everybody's going out and getting tickets. Everybody wants to win. Everybody, uh, has dreams of hitting it, and and um, you know, every, kind of everybody can r- rally around it. Everybody, many people paying attention uh, to the same uh, event, and everybody hoping that, just like uh, with uh, Willy Wonka and Charlie and the the, the golden ticket, winning the uh, the Powerball for no matter what amount would certainly be. Uh, a very nice golden ticket. So I hope the person who ever won this uh, spends it well. I hope this person is very generous and I hope this person does good things uh, with that money. Once again, if you're watching, please give this video a thumbs up. I don't care if you're on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your desktop, Wherever you may be, whatever you are doing, please give this th- uh, video a thumbs up as you are watching, whether live or in the replay. Uh, moving on. I I don't know if you can tell, but I got a little bit of a haircut last Friday. Um, I just decided that – I mean it really – as anybody with long hair knows, no matter if you're a man or woman or if you're 16 or 52, after a while, of course, you get these split ends and everything. And I just thought, you know what? It's time. So I went down and just kind of got a little trim. I'm going to say it was only about that much. What is that? About four inches or something like that the whole way around. And it was like 20 minutes and I was done. But uh, the woman who cuts my hair, it's actually down in Madeira Beach. It's like within walking distance of where I used to live. And she's been cutting my hair, I don't know, since 2015 or something, 2016. So she's seen me go from, you know, short, 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 short hair down to this. And she hasn't, um, you know, she hasn't touched my hair with scissors probably in two years. 
Now, on although I did see her over at the gun range like last year by accident, but as far as me seeing her to cut my hair, uh, I hadn't seen her since I think 2020. I don't even – was it during COVID? I don't even remember. Maybe it was even before that. That's how long it had been. So I was due to kind of um, get everything situated. It was looking a little straggly. Uh, maybe if you watched last week's video, you can see like my hair would kind of go down into the U and N and D or you know, right into the letters on um, my shirt here. It's a different shirt. But um, this week it's a little shorter. So we're all ready uh to grow a little bit more and uh for anybody wondering yes this is my uh real hair all right but it was good to see her good to talk to her uh her name is um carrie and uh we had a lot to talk about her daughter's getting married and so i hadn't seen her a while to talk about these things so that was nice um thumbs up thank you screaming um i'm on says i could use that dough regarding powerball and Maris says, I thought so regarding, it seemed like my hair was a little shorter. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Carrie, assistant Carrie is in here. Carrie, thank you much. Uh, good to see you tonight. How are you? Yeah, not that Carrie. Okay, this is assistant Carrie. This is a different Carrie than the woman who cuts my hair. Uh, thank you, Leanne. I appreciate it. Maris says, oh, yeah, my hair is about as long as yours. I try to get myself trims these days to save money. Eventually, it just has to be done. That's true. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Nobody, uh, the thing is, though, nobody really wants to be around a pair of scissors. <laughs> Who knows what might happen? Um, and Carrie says, yeah, not this Carrie. And you've been working, Carrie. Okay, working a lot. That's good to see. You know, and uh, Carrie, I don't know if this is the proper time to bring this out, but how is, uh, have you gotten to see Bentley again recently? I know you got to see him, was it last month or something? But have you been... Um, uh, keeping in contact with him. Have you seen him? Yes, you've seen him. He's doing well. Good. Well, uh, Carrie, if you want to get Bentley the next time you see him to watch this video, I'm going to say hi to Bentley right now. Hey, Bentley, I see you uh, out there. Bentley, I see you. Yes, I do. I see you right there. I can see you sitting there, Bentley. How are you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for watching. So you can, Carrie, you can show that uh, to him the next time. You see him. Uh, one more thing, uh, one more personal thing, I guess, before uh, I move on to all of the interesting information that I want to tell you about tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit about Unfound's stats, some statistics regarding the actual disappearances, uh, which I haven't done that for a while. So I finally had a chance to look at that this past weekend. So I want to pass that along to you. Of course, I got a lot of national news stories that I want to cover as well. But the final uh, uh, kind of personal uh, information is that um, I posted, I don't know if you saw this, but 
some of you are friends with me on Facebook that I posted a clip of um, I see I uh, carry. I got your messages. Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to see. Yeah. You sent me pictures of Bentley. Awesome. I can't wait to see a Bentley. What a name. <laughs> you should have had another, you should have another, uh, grand, uh, grand baby called Rolls Royce or something, Carrie. That would be Bentley and Rolls Royce. That would be pretty funny. Um, but I posted a little clip, a little video clip on my personal Facebook page a couple days ago. And it is from a short film that was done back in 2003 inside Star Trek The Experience. And it was done by a a good friend of mine, although I have not spoken to him for years and years and years. I don't know if I've even spoken to him since I moved to Florida over 10 years ago. But certainly uh, when we worked together, good guy's name is Andy Thogerson. Funny guy, entertainer, performer. Uh, The last I knew, he was working at Margaritaville on the Strip in Las Vegas, um, juggling and uh, walking on stilts and doing all sorts of stuff. But he put this script together, and we filmed it, or he filmed it. I was just a... Uh, I was just a bit player in this. I was not one of the the uh, stars. It was like Andy, and then there's this guy Carl, and uh, the guy that you would see singing in this video. His name is Thomas Moore. Um, all guys I knew very very well when I worked there. And this film is about 12 minutes long, but I posted about a three minute clip in there, just kind of the part where I'm in it. So maybe some of you got to see it, and I. You know, I remember him doing that, and we did, a, you know, probably more than maybe management realized. We probably filmed more. He was, this is before we had self, before Android phones, before iPhones. So you actually had to have, like, an actual kind of camera. But, you know, some of these people did do these little uh, skits and things while we were waiting between shows. And this was one of them. And it ended up being about 12 minutes long. And it's really corny. And I don't know how well it's done. I don't even know how funny it is, but it certainly is corny. And I would like to think that at least my couple parts in there are pretty good. But if you haven't seen that, if you are friends with me on Facebook, uh, go look for that. Um, I do my best Bill Paxton. Um impersonation from uh aliens where he goes game over man game over i did that and uh then also i i do something kind of really stupid but um you should check it out i don't know how once again i don't know how funny it is but you will get to see kind of like the behind the scenes if you are a star trek person or you'd even gone to the experience back at the time these are kind of like the hijinks things that used to go on um, behind the scenes at Star Trek The Experience. It was just that job was way too fun. <laughs> I know We didn't make very great money or anything. We had excellent benefits. So the health benefits, the, de- the, the, um, the dental benefits and everything were spectacular. Didn't get paid that well, though. 
but it was uh, it was a fun time while, while it lasted. I was there for four and a half years, but it brings back a lot of great memories. And it's also very sad because the one uh, young woman it's in her name is Barbara Rollins. You will see her if you get to watch it. She's the one who uh, she says she has to go pee, and then like the water cooler thing, it you know shows up beside her. Uh, Barbara Rollins was a very good friend of mine. We were not alike in any particular way whatsoever, <laughs> at all. But um, but just really um, identified with each other. Love talking. She put a lot of plays together. She we talked a lot about writing. And stuff like that. That was kind of where we, that kind of the level that we met on. And she ended up committing suicide. Um, wow, I'm going to say 2009, 2008, 2009, something like that. Or maybe it was even like 2007, somewhere in there. Very sad. Uh, liked Barbara a lot. And uh, I didn't even find out that she had done that until maybe a, a month after it happened. I actually found out about that at a Christmas party thrown for former Star Trek um, people, uh, thrown by a woman, April Iberi. You might remember she she has a podcast. She interviewed me a couple years ago um, on her podcast. You might remember that. Thinking It Through, I think is the name of it. And she's in that video, by the way, too. But she held a party, and that's where I found out that Barbara had committed suicide. So seeing her in there, so talented, very sad. But uh, overall, it brings back a lot of great memories. And you get to see me with short hair, How I, what I look like. I would have been 32 at the time, so this was like 20 years ago. Man, I don't know where the time has gone. I just don't know. But hopefully you've checked that out. I was going to put that in the group, but I thought that was a little too uh, self-indulgent. So you'd have to be a friend of mine on Facebook to see it. Okay, uh, Ferry uh, says, uh, my nephew's name is Ford Hendry, so going to that Bentley thing, okay. Um, um, Mara says, yeah, I looked at YouTube. You could do it, and I'm just so glad to have caught this live again. Me too, Mara. Thank you. Um. Mayor says names can be so interesting. They can. TD said, didn't Lorden do some skits back in the day? Um, TD, I think you're right. Uh, John and I, when I interviewed him last year for a special Thanksgiving episode, remember that? that I, there won't be any special Thanksgiving uh, episode, unfortunately, this year. Too busy. But um, we have talked about that. He did do some filmmaking, and he was – uh, is the way I remember down in LA, uh, doing work like that. He was, that's true. That is true. I never worked in LA. I worked in Las Vegas. I was a performer there. I did work on some movies and things there. So, uh, our path, John and my path never crossed back then, but yes, he, he did that too, uh, as well. That's true. Hello, Valerie screaming. Paxton was the only guy to be killed by an alien, a Predator and the Terminator, yeah. That is true, Screaming. Yeah, Bill Paxton, who just died a couple years ago. Very, very sad there. Great actor. Just really loved everything that he was in, even going way back to the 80s and Weird Science, which was spectacular. Um, 
Lisa says, I've been watching the Stephen Pankey trial on YouTube. Forgive my ignorance, but are you on YouTube testifying? I, no, there were no cameras in the um, for either uh, trial, Lisa. There were no cameras in the in the um, in the courtroom. I think they were just there for the opening statements. And that was it, I think. And even if you say, Lisa, if you really pay attention, if you are subscribed to the Greeley Tribune, um, although, of course, there was writing about the trial that just occurred, the pictures they actually used were from the first trial a year before. So, um, no, there is nothing on there. They did not uh, put anything like that. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I could assure you if that if that would have been the certain – uh, if that would have been the case, I certainly would have posted that already. Not I care one way or the other, but if it's going to be out there, I might as well be the one who posts it. Um, no, there were no cameras in the courtroom. I think early on before the first trial started, I know Sheree and I talked about what are the possibilities. And Court TV at the time in 2001 did, 2021, did play the opening statements live on Court TV. But that was it. That, to my knowledge, that was it. They did not, they weren't there when Steve was on up on the stand. Like for the first time around, he did not take the stand for the second time. All right. So there you go. All the personal stuff is out of way. Oh, and by the way, I also went for a nice bike ride today. It was beautiful. Now that I finally got the air, uh, put air in the tires finally. Moving on, let's get to the true crime section, uh, which will, of course, take us to the end uh, of this live show tonight. Uh, we got an hour and a half to go, so let's get started. Uh, the poll that I posted in the discussion group, given that this past Friday was the, uh, the conviction of Steve Pankey, end of an era, I asked a very simple question. Uh, was Steve guilty? Could you have come to the point of beyond a reasonable doubt regarding Steve's guilt? That was a very clear yes or no question. And anybody was free to base that on anything uh, that they could get their hands on, either statements from me, reading articles about it. I know other people have covered it. I even understand if you have Amazon Prime, uh, that there is now a podcast going on there that has nothing to do but with the trial of Steve Pankey. Uh, it's being hosted by the woman who asked permission to use my interview with Steve in her podcast, and I told her no, but it's out there. Um, she was, I don't think she liked that very much, but at least she's getting a plug here now. Um, you know, wherever you could uh, find any information regarding the trial, including my own comments, what did you think? 85% of you in the group, in the discussion group, said that no, you could not say that Steve was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. 85%, even I was surprised that the that number was that high. And uh, there are comments below there, and if you're not a member of this discussion group, that's something you've never heard of before. Uh, go to Facebook, do a search for Unfound Podcast Discussion Group, request to be allowed in, and I will permit you to enter. And you will get to stand there as long as you behave yourself. And uh, that's a poll that we do every week. I try to make it uh, 
as interesting a poll as I can do uh, on a Saturday morning. So 85% of you believe that Steve could not be proven to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, you should know, going over to the Think Tank, if you don't know what the Think Tank is, just go to patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast to become a member. Really did not get much into that. Um, Really did not ask that question because in the think tank, we have litigated Steve's guilt and innocence uh, twice before. After the first interview played way back in 2019, we did it a year ago after the first trial happened. So there was no reason to really go over, you know, do you think he's guilty and everything? I pretty much know what everybody's thoughts are in the group already. So we tried... um, we kind of did something different where we kind of just looked at it uh, more from a, a jury point of view. I asked them, had you ever served on a jury before? Uh, there were questions like, you know, why is it that, you know, the information is out there that on that night, Norris Drake was another suspect back at least in the 1980s. And he said that he went to run errands that night why is it in the trial that neither the defense or the prosecution ever mentioned actually where he went? Is it because they don't know? So those were some of the questions uh, the, that I posed to the think tank. And we did have a, a brand new member. Her name was Leah in the think tank, and she loved it. New member this week uh, signing up for the think tank. So maybe you should think about it too at patreon.com forward slash podcast. Now, as far as me, uh, I think that um, I've made my uh, thoughts uh, very clear. And in fact, uh, I got trolled on them two weeks ago by a person in particular that I'm not going to mention. But I certainly could not have come. I'm not saying that Steve didn't didn't do it. I'm saying that I was surprised. I, I stated, I'll state it again. I was surprised that the jury so quickly could come to that decision. Because there does seem to be a lot of straggling information there out there, hanging out there that does not seem, in my opinion, the, de- the defense, either defense, either Mr. Viorst in the first one or the public defenders in the second one took full advantage of. But once again, I'm not in the legal business. I'm in the information business. But since that is the last time that that interview is ever going to play, on an episode of Unfound, at least as far as I can see, maybe 20 years down the road, we'll kind of do a uh, look back and we'll play that interview and I'll be 70 something. I'll be like Steve Pankey's age at that point, looking back at it. And 20 years from now, I'll be about the time Steve will be getting out of jail. But I want to uh, ask all of you one more question before we totally, totally, totally move on from this. Although I am going to try to correspond with Steve in jail. Big question, and I want all of you in this live show to think about it. Everybody listening now on Spotify, iTunes, wherever else, I want you to think about this as well. Are we to believe, and I have this uh, typed out on my notes to my left. Are we to believe that knowing Steve the way we now all know him, obsessive, compulsive, regarding Janelle's murder. Are we to believe that knowing Steve the way we now know him, that he didn't keep track of where Janelle's remains were? 
Are we to believe he didn't know the crew was heading in that direction where they were digging? If so, he would have had plenty of time to move her remains, but he didn't. I want you to all think about that because we now know it's accepted. Steve was the killer. And we know how obsessive he was in keeping track of what the police were doing and, and all these things, filing paperwork and everything that he sent me and everything else. But are we to believe that he really didn't do the simplest of things, kind of keep tabs on where he put Janelle to make sure that nobody was going to run across her remains? Because we have to remember something. This crew was out there for a while. This wasn't just like they just turned up there one day and started digging and just happened upon the spot. They were digging uh, a natural gas line and had been out there for weeks, if not months, going in that direction. Digging, 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 right across the stream here. So didn't even attempt it. I wonder about that. Um, Carrie says, without being a trial, I can't decide. Um, uh, without being a uh, fairy says, I could not have Carrie moving remains the length of time it took to find her. It isn't that easy to just move remains. Well, he, uh, he was the one that did it. <laughs> Carrie, he picked that spot for a reason. He's the one who picks that spot. Now, I realize it was 30-some years ago. But I think pretty sure if I knew I was doing something that could really get me in trouble, that that would be etched in my mind, of course, unless I get dementia or Alzheimer's or something. That would be etched in my mind. And once again, understanding the way we know Steve, as much as he followed everything that was going on with her. Interesting. I agree so much. This case makes me so irritated. It just does, and I just get bad feelings. I think it was pure luck that the workers... Are... Well, it was pure luck, Carrie. It absolutely was pure luck. I'm not saying I believe into Steve's conspiracy theory that he said in the interview that I did with him. In fact, he eventually distanced himself from that as well. All I'm saying is those guys were out there going in that direction for weeks. Are we to really believe that Steve didn't know that and didn't couldn't have gone out there like at three in the morning and got her remains and thrown them in the back of her car. And they would have come across that spot and probably wouldn't have thought for a second about it. That bothers me. And on that, we're going to conclude all of the Steve Pankey talk. So let's move on. I just want all of you to think about that. Moving on, um, I want to remind you that this Friday, uh, although we're wrapping up here, I told uh, Dr. Telesco and I decided we would talk about uh, Steve for her live show. She has not had a chance uh, to offer her opinions on everything now that Steve has been found guilty. We will be talking about uh, Steve on Thursday's uh, live show with Dr. Telesco. All of you really by this time know how that works. It'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern. It will be um, on their YouTube channel, not an unfound YouTube channel. It'll be on the Fischler College of Education and School of, Ed School of Criminal Justice channel. All the other times where I've been with her on there, including two months ago when I was down there and we did that show. So I will be sending out reminders to all of you on Thursday, but 
I, of course, am reminding you right now, but we will be talking about Steve. And maybe that question I just uh, posed to all of you may come up. We'll see. Um, Strasman says he might have just stopped checking in on where she was at and the workers just hit on it randomly. Valerie, I have a question. Did Steve make eye contact with you? If this so, did he have any expression on his face? Uh, Valerie, I never looked at Steve once. I never looked at, I motioned to him like this when I mentioned him, when I was asked questions about him, I kind of like, he, cause he was right there. I mean, he was like, I don't know, 15 feet away from me or something. Very close. Um, but I never looked at him. I looked at him when like they were bringing him into the courtroom and all that. But when I was sitting up on there, I never made eye contact with him. It's just, it really just wasn't that important to me. Um, yeah, great question, uh, Valerie. Now, then I'm still tripped out, but I can't help. I'm still tripped out, but I can't help. Um, Julie, okay, Julie, I don't know what that means, but that's funny. Um, but this Thursday, you will get to hear Dr. Telesco's. Of course, she is uh, the, has the doctorate in criminology. She is the longtime professor. She is ex-NYPD. And so um, she and I will get to throw around uh, all of these ideas, and we'll see a woman with her type of lengthy experience, deep experience, thinks about all of this. Mary, did you not want to look at him, or it just slipped your mind either way? It just wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't important. You know, it's not like I'm afraid of him or anything. Uh, my concentration was elsewhere. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, my job when as a uh, person up there in the witness stand is to, if the prosecution's asking you questions, you look at the prosecution. If the defense, you look them, that's, you know, that's showing them proper respect. <clears throat> uh, if the judge, you know, the judge said a few things to me, of course, you look and, you know, Steve wasn't saying anything to me, so there's no reason to look at him. You know, you have to remember uh, as soon as you get up on the stand, pretty much, they start asking you questions. I don't know. It just, it just, I don't know. It, it, it just didn't occur to me. I have no idea if he looked at me, uh, how he was answering it. You know, when I was answering questions, how he was reacting. I have no idea. No, I have no idea. And I really don't care. So, um, so Dr. Telesco's show this Friday or this Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern on their YouTube channel. I, I'm guessing we'll be doing this over Zoom, but it will be playing on YouTube. Moving on to some other things. Uh, as I heard, um, Denise McGarity, who was the guest for uh, the disappearance of Toby Anderson, she did a a live um, little video, when was it, last week? Later last week, that they're going to be doing a search on a piece of property that could be very, that she believes is very important uh, to the disappearance of Toby. And she's very excited about this. This has been a long time coming. I know maybe at least a couple of you do follow Denise on Facebook. And so she's been posting about this. She's been working very hard on this. I really did not know how things were going. Um, but, uh, she did this. In fact, she was, um, 
you know, so happy doing this video about what's going on that she was actually crying a little bit. So she's very excited about this search that is going to be done on this piece of property. Like I said, that they've been trying to do this for a while. I will try to uh, follow up on how the search goes. I'm not sure when it's going to be ha- happening. Maybe some, maybe one of you knows that, but um, maybe you uh, want to, you know, keep your uh, keep aware of that. And maybe they'll come up, turn up something. Uh, I, I happen to believe that uh, Toby did not walk off. I could believe that the family member that he was staying with, staying with that guy was it his uncle um, is most likely responsible for Toby's disappearance. So we shall see. But uh, moving on. Um, on that topic... Um, let's see. As, um, mayor says, Oh, I understand. And when you were sitting down, you were behind him, right? No, I was to the side of him. Uh, when I was up on the stand mayor, uh, it's very weird in that courtroom. You don't face the gallery, you face the jury. So, um, the gallery is to my left. The judge is facing to facing this way to my right. The gallery is facing this way and I'm facing this way. And so Steve was like right here like 15 feet away. The prosecution was across, you know, diagonal from me. Uh, on the topic of uh, searches and remains being found, I was, was I talking to Sheree about this uh, last week or somebody else? But it is, it does seem to me that the 2022 was kind of a slow year uh, in that respect. Um, it seems to me that only one set of remains have been found this year. And that was Ashley Simpson's, uh, in Canada. And that was like this past summer and she was murdered. And the guy that she met now is in custody for her murder. Other than that, I think that that's been it for the entire year. I will have to really, really go back and check, but. I think that's it. Maybe, um, you know, was you know the time runs by so fast. Noah Davis, did that happen when the bot was that when that bone was identified? I think maybe that was y- this year, back in like June or something. It wasn't summer of last year. It wasn't summer of twenty twenty one. It was this past summer. But you know that bone had been found like back in twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen. It was just recently identified. So it's been a really slow year uh, for any of Unfound's disappearances getting resolved. Not sure why that is. You know, it seemed like for a while there, Crystal Morrison and Esther Westenbarger happened very close together. Um, Zoe Campos and Andrea Bowman happened very close together. Austin Pivo. uh, was, um, you know, mixed in there, his remains. They were all in this kind of a cluster. And then last year, Robbie Hurt was found. And then, of course, we had Christopher Hyde and in, um, Chris, Chris Turner. And then we get to this year. And it's not much has gone on. Obviously, I've, been, I've done the update episodes in April and August. And I certainly have a lot to talk about. 
but none of that except for Ashley's uh, remains being found. None of it otherwise had anything to do with remains being found. Not sure what it is. Maybe I guess I guess the odds are then that 2023 will be in the opposite direction. Of course, I'm hoping that. Uh, I certainly hope that we can get some of these disappearances resolved by whatever means, by luck, by actual work. Uh, I, you know, we, we of course don't care about that. Uh, we just hope that these things get resolved, but 2022 was a slow year. Remember, we only have like a month and a half left. I mean, we would really have to have some wild things happen between now and December 31st for us, I think, to even get to the average of what the other years have been going back to the full years that Unfounds existed, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, where quite a few remains were found in those years. And then we get to 2022 and it's only one. Not sure why that is. I don't know. I'm going to take a question uh, now, and this is from Penny, who sent me this question uh, actually a few days ago, and then today she reminded me, you know, I sent you a question. You got him right. I said, I did, Penny. All right, Penny. uh, She asked me a couple questions, but uh, this one first. Penny, besides the Panky case, have law enforcement attorneys or other governing bodies requested a copy of one or more of the podcasts? If so, is it safe for you to share the agency and podcast information? Uh, Penny, what I would say is that, um, of course, since the podcasts are public, uh, law enforcement could be listening to them, and I wouldn't even know it. I don't have, although I know what the download numbers are, uh, and I know, of course, what the views are here on YouTube. I don't know the names of everybody and every group or organization or person who has a subscription on Spotify or iTunes or YouTube or anywhere else. Okay. Uh, This is not like Facebook where, you know, you have a list of all your friends or even on Instagram when you're, you know, you can look at your followers and who you're following or on TikTok. Of course, when it comes to podcasts, it's not, it's not like that. So I don't, uh, they would not have to, contact me at all to uh, listen to the podcast or even download it if they wanted to to go through the trouble to actually have an mp3 file but they could do that on their own they don't need my help now um and having said that uh must have been three years ago the only reason i remember that it wasn't longer ago because i know i was living in this place and i've been here three and a half years it seems right after i moved into this place must have been summer of 2019. I had an investigator with a DA's office in Tennessee who wanted copies of a conversation that I had on Messenger. This is going to, uh, do you remember? Um, oh my goodness, I don't want to get the names wrong. So I'm going to look at the list here very quickly. Uh, I want to I get the names right. Um, do you remember the disappearances of Jansen Brewer and Daniel Braden? You remember that one? Uh, Laura Jenkins, uh, Jansen's mother, was the guest. This is a disappearance uh, that was covered. Oh, my goodness. Um, when was it covered? I'm trying to – let me look here for a second. Um 
This must have been in 2018. I'm thinking it was in 2018 that we covered those disappearances. Let me uh, check here for a moment. Um, Might have been 2019. Anyway, uh, DA's office, uh, investigator with the DA's office contacted me and wanted a copy of the messenger conversation that I had with this guy, Scotty. Do you remember? Um that um, he was the guy who had the truck that he allegedly lent it to Jansen Brewer and Daniel Braden. And then they went missing. And this is one of those, also one of those disappearances where the vehicle is missing as well. Well, I had a, a back and forth with Scotty and he was as weird as you ever want to be, uh, would ever anticipate. But somehow they found out about it. I probably talked about it on a live show at the time or something. And this guy requested me to, for me to send a copy of that messenger back and forth to him. And I did so. I haven't talked to the guy since. So I obviously, uh, that those disappearances are still unsolved. I'm, I'm guessing it didn't lead them uh, anywhere. But off the top of my head, that is... Uh, the only time I've actually ever been ta- contacted by law enforcement to for information uh, that I've collected that wasn't a podcast. Like I said, uh, all the work I do is public, eventually makes it public through the interviews and, and through the podcast that comes out every Friday. So these people do not have to uh, contact me if, if they want to listen to something. They can just do that anytime and they can be totally anonymous doing it. Um, the only thing I would say to that is that sometimes given the sensitivity of the material, sometimes some things that come up in private conversations with the guests don't come out in the interview for one reason or another. So law enforcement in listening to, if they are, and I think they have, uh, in listening to the interviews, probably are getting 95. 98% of the information I have anyway. So they really don't have to come to me. So Penny, um, that is my uh, answer uh, to that question. Very good question. Uh, You'd think, well, if you're doing good work, shouldn't they be contacting you more? Well, not really, because all the work I do eventually becomes public. So they don't have to go to me. They can just pull it up on their phone and listen to it in an interrogation room somewhere. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know. And I'm fine with that. Um, Julie says, well, no lie. Interesting. Julie, yellow submarine. I don't know where that came from, Julie, but that's pretty funny. That's very random. Valley, did you say you were going to contact Steve again? Uh, I'm going to try to start a correspondence with him in jail. Yeah, I am. I do, especially with the name Brewer. Carrie, I remember that mess. Yes, uh, Carrie, yes. Uh, Daniel Braden. And Jansen Brewer, Daniel Braden, and Scotty, and me contacting Scotty, and yeah, he was a trip. Uh, would not be a surprise at all. He was responsible for their disappearances. Uh, you must be super careful. You mean in my private life, uh, Penny? I guess I don't go many places, so it's not that hard. And a follow-up question from Penny. Another question: Once a podcast has been published. Do either you or your staff provide a copy to the interviewer 
law enforcement, or others close to the disappearance? Uh, Penny, the answer is no. It's just too much work. I mean, the good thing about YouTube is once the episodes get posted here, YouTube does automatically do a transcript uh, that you can see, although it's not totally accurate. Um, you know, it's automatically generated just trying to identify, you know, people using the English language and trying to figure out what they're saying. Um, that's just a lot of work, Penny. Uh, if people want to, want to listen to it, they can, uh, most of these episodes are two hours long. And, uh, if, uh, you know, family wants to get somebody to transcribe it or something, they can do that. That's just, as I learned trying to do the books, that's a lot of work and it's very expensive. It can be very expensive very quickly. So uh, I don't do that, but there are ways, there are even programs out there that are much better than what YouTube does here where you can feed audio to one of these programs and uh, it comes out pretty well, pretty well. Um, Carrie, get it that way. Yeah, but we're, yeah, Carrie, unfortunately, uh, the books, uh, have not been done for a while for many reasons that I do not want to get into in this live show, Carrie. That is for dang sure. Um, okay. What, where do I want to go next? I thought this was interesting. Um, out of nowhere, um, here's, uh, two disappearances that I've not talked about on here for a while, but, uh, certainly, um, they're always on my mind. They're all always on my mind. But this one in particular is because I've gotten to know the guests so well. And that is um, the disappearances of Peggy and Patty McDaniel. And you all know how I've gotten to be good friends with Joyce Rivetuzo. I haven't spoken to Joyce uh, recently. I hope she's doing well. I don't see her in the chat tonight. Anyway, Um. The nephew of the guy who was murdered, this murder that seems to be connected to um, the dis- their disappearances, uh, posted something in the group. He said, uh, Nelson George Johnson was my uncle. He was my mom's youngest, youngest brother. We called him George. I didn't know his name was Nelson until he died. I was 11 years old at the time. He was more of a dad to me growing up until my dad came home when I was 10. My heart goes out to Joyce Rivetuzo and her family, not knowing what happened to baby girls, to her baby girls, but I think they may be the only ones to know who murdered my uncle. And that murder is still unsolved. And then I followed up with some questions for him, and this was his response. This is something my family never really talked about, but back in 2018 when I was taking care of my mom full-time, I asked her, did they ever find out who killed George? And she said, I believe that gross boy killed my brother, Ed Gross. Um, I'm asked, well, who is that? I asked, who is that and why isn't he in jail? She told me that they all knew Ed Gross Gross from Live Oak. And some years back, George and Ed got into a fight. And when George got the best of him, Ed stabbed him with a pocket knife. And it was nothing life-threatening. She also told me the police know about Ed, but they couldn't prove he killed George. She never mentioned Marvin Warren, who I found out about through this podcast. The rest of my family believes it was Ed Gross, and it was something to do with the missing twins, Patty and Peggy. So this is something, um, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, And I'm thinking that I might um, like to have an additional conversation with this this, uh, nephew of Nelson George Johnson, who was murdered, was found in the trunk of a car, and it is believed Ed Gross and Marvin Warren. Marvin Warren is still alive, by the way. 
and um, find out how this can all, you know, can we, can we push this investigation forward? You know, what was Nelson George Johnson doing to go to see this going? Why was he going to see this guy? Why did they meet or did Ed Gross uh, jump him or something down there in the Miami area? Uh, we just don't know. But maybe if we can talk to some people one on one or I can uh, who were adults at the time, maybe we can move this um, forward. And I have it just in my notes here. Um, belief Ed and Marvin went to South Florida to see George, but why would George see them given the prior beef? It's just questions that I don't know. But if this all is kind of like, I don't know what Ed's talking about, you should go back and listen to the episode, uh, The Disappearance of Peggy and Patty McDaniel. That's an episode that came out in like April of 2017, so over five years ago. Crazy. So if you'd like to um, check that out and see how this unsolved murder uh, is also connected to their disappearances, and some things have certainly happened since that episode came out as well, uh, go back and find that episode on Spotify and listen to it. Once again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're new to Unfound. All right, let's get to – I just want to go over some quick stats Regarding um, Unfound, we have to this point. This Friday will be Disappearance 273. And I realize we had some episodes where there were like two. These are just Disappearance episodes. So like Flight 370 is all considered to be one episode, even though over 200 people went missing on that plane. Uh, and then like, uh, the Pickering six, six people that's still just considered one episode. So in these stats, it's just considered to be one disappearance, the 273 disappearances. I was going through this since last week, as best as I can tell, 169 of them are probably, and I counted the ones that have been solved in there too. So 169 of them are murders, were murders or I believe them to be murders. So out of 273, 169, um, somebody knows what happened and isn't saying. Kind of that combination. That's 62%. I will tell you, I thought the number would be higher. Given my thinking and uh, what I think I know about disappearances, I thought that that number would be at least into the 70-some percentage range. But right now, like I said, some of them were guesses and, you know, some of these facts just don't really line up to anything, (laughs) but it's actually lower than I thought. 62% of them, I believe to be murders or somebody knows what happened and they're not saying anything. And then what I also did was I broke them down into categories and, um, you know, there are six major categories that I like to put disappearance in, disappearances in. These are the types that I talk about when I go to speak to criminal justice majors. And those types break down this way. 37 of them are, it's a murder, but. So what that means is there are signs of violence, um, but... 
and maybe somebody's even admitted to it. And of course, we have some that have murders, so those go on in this category as well. It's a murder, but Patty Action is one of those. Jacqueline Cooper, very recent Mary Watkins. Those are examples of ones that are in the it's a murder, but uh, category. Now, the next category I looked at was a league of their own. So these are disappearances that do not neatly fit into any of the other types, at least the way I break them down. There are 18 of them. Some of those examples would be Dale Kerstetter, who was the, the security guard guy who went missing during a platinum heist. Flight 370, of course. And then I also put Jason Jolkowski in that uh, in that category as well, because he's not in a, in a demographic that you would think would go missing the way he seemed to have gone missing. So that's why he's in that category. Moving on, um, the next category is the man said, and that's of course a perfect example. Man and a husband and wife go to bed. Next morning, he gets up. She's not there. But her car is there, her clothes are there, her phone's there, her purse is there, her keys are there. And the guy says, I just don't know what happened. We have 64 of those. And also would be, the woman said, uh, it would, of course, be a part of this too. But it's mostly the man said, so that's why it's called the man said. And examples of those would be Angela Green, probably the, the best example. In fact, that's the example I use when I speak to colleges. Rosemary Rapp. And then also very, very recently, uh, Natasha Carter and Susan Carter. Uh, I believe they are also in the man said um, uh, type. Moving on, how many walk-offs? And now you remember, walk-offs can also be murders. So I don't want you to get too uh, fixated on the title. But the walk-off... 84. Now, once again, that does not mean that all of them were people who walked off and committed suicide or died to the elements. It's just a part of their disappearance is it seems like that person did walk off. For example, we just had the recent disappearance of, let me, um, we just did the recent uh, Paris Hobson who obviously walked off. There's nobody that, that doubts that her, her mother and the other family members are telling the truth, that she walked down the street and um, disappeared. Nobody doubts that. That's surely the truth. That's a walk-off, even though it could still be a murder. And I could certainly be convinced that Paris Hobson might have been murdered. But that's a version of a walk-off. So some of those, Noah Davis, Brian Schaefer, and people don't necessarily have to be walking. They could be driving like Harry Milligan, Travis Robertson. Just have to remember that a lot of different circumstances fall under the general term of the walk-off. Some of them may be suicide. Some of them just people on drugs like Noah Davis not really maybe knowing what they're doing. And then some of those people might have been walking off to see somebody who ended up killing them. Some of them, uh, surely some of them are murders. It's just hard to say. And then the next category that I, that I break, uh, that I looked at was the art of luring. So people who were enticed to do things that caused their disappearances. Some of those examples, Jeff Nichols, he was lured by golf clubs. 
Tyler North, we need to know for sure what's happened there. His ex-wife and her boyfriend are going to go on trial. He was lured by sex. And uh, Barbara Frame, uh, she was lured by divorce papers. So those are some examples. But once again, a total of 19 of those. And... um, The final category is drugs play a role. There are actually 50 of these, and probably we've surely talked about drugs way more than that, more than 50 episodes. But these are the ones where uh, either dealing in drugs, um, uh, you know, overdosing are possibilities. So drugs play a role, 50 of them. Some of those examples, Brian Cook from West Virginia, Jessica Garino, uh, even Chip Campbell uh, could fall under the the drugs play a role in their disappearance somewhere. And so that's 50. And you probably can tell, you know, there's a lot of mixture. And, you know, one that could be a drugs play a role could be it's a murder. But and it's just up to me to try to draw that fine line between going into this category, going into that category. So those are how they all break down right now. Uh, like I said. Of 273 disappearances, including this Friday's, 169 of them are what I would call murders or something along the lines where people know what happened, but they're not saying. 62%. Uh, 37 It's a 37 of it's a murder, but 18 of a ligaver of their own, 64 of the man said, 84 of the walk-off, 19 the art of luring, and 50 drugs play a role. Kathy, I did the same calculations per my opinions and came up with 62%. Wow. So you and I looked at all of these independently and we came up with virtually the same percentage, Kathy. That is crazy. Wow. Okay, maybe uh, maybe we're on to something, Kathy. Uh, Mayor says, I will do that. I'm not sure if I caught the one yet. I've watched many older episodes, but maybe not all of them. I started listening to Unfound Podcast maybe four years ago. Okay. Uh, Valerie asked me about Steve. Are you going to write him or visit him? Uh, I'm not going to visit him, Valerie. I'm not going out to Colorado. No way. Uh, but I will try to find out. Um, whoa, what is this? Uh, what? Mayor, did somebody take over your uh, – that's funny. Somebody came on uh, with the same name as somebody who's already in there and posted all that filth. Wow. Where is Sheree uh, when you need her? Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, putting that user in time out. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna guess I'm gonna have to fight that for the next 45 minutes. Um, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about the Delphi murders, uh, if we could. Of course, Richard Allen is now in jail. He needs a lawyer, and uh, I'm gonna read this article to you. The man accused of murdering—I um, don't know, Mayor. Uh, somebody came in uh, using your exact name. And was writing some very, very nasty things, Mayor. So it seems somebody is uh, has copied your 
um, ID, and they're obviously using another count to try to uh, fool me, but they didn't because uh, I noticed that right away. The man accused of murdering two teen girls in Delphi, Indiana, has written a letter to the court begging for a public defender because he can't afford to hire a lawyer. I, Richard M. Allen, hereby throw myself at the mercy of the court. I'm begging to be provided with legal assistance and a public defender or whatever help is available. He wrote in a letter to Carroll's circuit court obtained by the journal and courier. Allen of 50 is charged with two counts of murder in the killings of 14-year-old Libby German and 13-year-old Abby Williams on February 13th, 2017. Alan wrote a letter uh, begging to be provided with a public defender. The bodies of the two friends, we don't have to go through the details again. Alan, a married father of two, uh, was a CVS technician, wrote that his wife had stopped working for personal safety, which I can understand, in the wake of his arrest. At my initial hearing... I asked to find representation for myself, Alan wrote. However, this time I had no clue how expensive it would be just to talk to somebody. I also did not realize what my wife and I's immediate financial situation was going to be. We both have been forced to immediately abandon employment, myself due to incarceration, and my wife for her personal safety. Alan did not elaborate on threats to his family's safety. Uh, Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, although I, all those people are crazy too. Again, I throw myself at the mercy of the court. Please provide me whatever assistance you may. Allen entered a not guilty plea at his initial hearing last month. Evidence against the suspect has been temporarily sealed. A hearing has been scheduled for November 22nd to decide whether to unseal the probable cause affidavit related to Allen's arrest. Now, this got me thinking about something. You know, um, yeah, Ferry says, Ferry's right. The font was different. That's how I knew something was going on. And like I said, it was complete, complete filth. And that troll is surely laughing out there somewhere right now. But regarding all of this, uh, you know, I there certainly is a lust for blood um, out there, of course, for killers, especially killers of children. And my attitude has always been everybody hates lawyers until they need one. Um, and they are expensive. And this probably is the reason going back to Steve Pankey. I think he paid for his own the first time around, but when it got to the second trial, he ended up um, needing a public defender. And, and you should know there is even a, a segment of the population in the United States that doesn't even believe that there should be public defenders. You know, why, uh, you know, why are our tax dollars going toward um, protecting these killers? You know, we automatically think because somebody gets charged that the person is guilty, which is another flaw of how the media portrays all of this, you know, and sometimes of course I get caught up in that as well, but I want, I want all of you to remember something. And this is something that I always try to think of when we, of course, somebody gets charged and everybody wants that guy dead because of whatever he did, whether it's the Delphi murders or a school shooting where a bunch of children get killed. And they wonder, how can a lawyer do this? How could you go and defend this, this person who obviously did it? And you're going to go in and say, he did this and he didn't do that. And you're going to find loopholes. I mean, we've all had those conversations with people. I want everybody to remember this, being that most of us here are American citizens, and this is something from our history. You've heard of the Boston Massacre, right? 
that happened uh, in, in 1775 before we were even a country. We were, the United States, it was still a, um, a, a property of the British Empire, and everybody who lived here were colonists. We, they were subjects of the British, British Empire when this happened, the Boston Massacre. Well, what had happened was that there were some British soldiers there, uh, a mob had uh, amassed for some reason going on with something and they started throwing rocks and things at these soldiers and um what ended up happening happening is these soldiers some of them ended up shooting and killing some of these colonists that is what the Boston Massacre is, and I'm going to read this to you. Eight soldiers, one officer, and four civilians were arrested and charged with murder. And if you really get deep into this, you can understand why everybody wanted blood. They wanted these guys hung. They, everybody was really, really, you know, all the colonists here in, the, in, in these uh, colonies, the 13 colonies, not the United States yet, really ticked off about that. Do you know who defended these soldiers? Is anybody a history buff enough to know who came to the defense and represented these uh, soldiers when they went to trial? Does anybody know that? It's something I don't know why I even know this, but I am on a trivia team. Future U.S. President John Adams defended these guys. wasn't some fly-by-night lawyer whose name gets lost in the annals of history or anything else. Future president came to their defense and represented them. Of course, he became president once the United States became its own independent country. But he defended them. And six of the soldiers were acquitted. The other two were convicted of manslaughter and given reduced sentences. The two found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to branding of their hands. That would be interesting if we did that in the United States now. But this is what John Adams said about defending these guys who obviously killed unarmed people, innocent people. Now we have to remember this is like 17th century English. The part one took in defense of Captain Preston and the soldiers, procured me an anxiety Enough. It was, however, one of the most gallant, generous, manly, and disinterested actions of my whole life and was one of the best pieces of service I ever rendered my country. Judgment of death against those soldiers would have been as foul a stain upon the country as the executions of the Quakers or witches anciently. As the evidence was, the verdict of the jury was exactly right. This, however, is no reason why the town should not call the action of that night a massacre nor is it any argument in favor of the governor or minister who caused them to be sent here. But it is the strongest proofs of the danger of standing armies. That's why we don't have standing armies in the United States. Because of this. Where we have uh, soldiers standing on um, you know, street corners all over the place. You go to most other countries, that's common. You, although we have a huge military in the United States... Nobody's standing on street corners. This was one of the reasons. And um, although it wasn't in this uh, article, like on Wikipedia that I uh, was reading from, that I copied this from, but John Adams also stated that the reason he did this is because 
he wanted to show the um the king and parliament uh the rest of them that they weren't a bunch of heathens in the colonies that they were certainly capable of representing themselves he thought that it was we by defending these soldiers even though they had killed people that he thought it was very important for him to do that to show you know what we can handle our own business over here and it's very because if we don't we might just get even more of this very interesting part of american history right there before of course the revolutionary war and I'm always remember, I always remember this when I think about people trashing on defense attorneys and all of that. I always remember myself that at a key point in our history, one of our future presidents defended the, the guys who caused the Boston Massacre. And I think that's how we should always think about that. Uh, Carrie says, people that say who can represent him or her clearly has never heard of the Innocent Project. Innocent people are convinced a lot. That's true. Paula says, my nephew is a criminal defense attorney, won't often be appointed through the court. He always says his job is not to get people out of charges, to make sure they get a fair trial and no appeal. Carrie, and no, I'm not saying the person that was a family member was not innocent. Carrie, the right to attorney is a very important part of our due process. Yes. So Richard Allen deserves an attorney too, um, even if it means... The people uh, of that state are going to have to pay for it. Uh, the fact is that that money actually is is not just protecting the rights of Richard Allen. Actually, it's protecting the rights of everybody. It's hard to visualize that because we know these two girls were murdered, killed for no reason. Whether Richard Allen or did it or not, they were killed for no reason. But when we protect one person's rights, we protect everybody's rights. Moving on, I want to talk about Trinity Bacchus. Uh, this is a disappearance that just happened, and unfortunately, she was found uh, deceased. But I want to talk about it and just how quickly these things can happen. The mother of a girl who was reported missing in Northern California and found dead Friday needs time and space to grieve, a social media post said. A text-only note posted Saturday to the Instagram stories for Andrea Stanio, mother of 16-year-old Trinity Bacchus, pleaded that friends give the heartbroken mom space following the news of her daughter's death. This is Amanda, Andrea's friend. The note reads, at this time, Andrea needs time and space to grieve. Please do not randomly show up at her home. Bacchus was reported, miss was reported missing Thursday, so this is just three days ago, four days ago, after disappearing from her aunt's house off of Kentucky Ravine Road in Nevada City late Wednesday night. Search and rescue teams found Bacchus's body shortly after 2 p.m. Friday, half, uh, half a mile north of where she was last seen in a very heavily wooded rain, river, river drainage area, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office said in a Facebook statement. The Sheriff's Office said that there was nothing suspicious about her death so far, and the cause of her death was yet unknown. The coroner's division will conduct a full investigation, including an autopsy. Our deep appreciation goes to the hundreds of volunteers from agencies throughout Northern California that have assisted in this search. The sheriff's office added. Bacchus's aunt, Ashley Bjorkland, wrote in a series of Facebook posts this week that her niece took off from her home around 10.30 p.m. local time Wednesday wearing only pajamas and no shoes. This is Northern California in November. Bacchus had a friend sleeping over when she disappeared, Fox News reported. 
this is one of those things you just don't think these kinds of things that can happen. This uh, We might relate. We might think about this the way we think about that unfound now I did at the beginning of this year. Stephen Schwartz, who was just driving along, went across a bridge, got into a car wreck, ran back to that bridge, and jumped off. I don't know. You know, Was there things going on with Stephen Schwartz? Hard to say. I, I looked uh, as hard as I could at the time when I did that as an unfound now to try to find anything. Could not find anything. No criminal record, but maybe he had a, some sort of mental issue. I just don't know. But this is, I think, these are the types of disappearances that I think leave the public and even myself thinking, how can this happen? She's at her aunt's house. She has a friend over. And then all of a sudden she's running off into the woods and not just, I mean, that alone is strange. Even if she didn't die, that alone is weird. But then on top of that, she runs off, of course, doesn't come back. And then she is found in a river, uh, as they describe here, in a heavily wooded river drainage area. You know, what's, you know, what is everybody thinking here? This is why, um, you know, we think about maybe some disappearances that could be like this. Uh, I have to tell you the first one that comes to my mind is Jesse Ross. There's no explanation why he was at that convention center, that hotel, seemingly having a good time with people he knew. It was on the very last night of this uh, trip. And during a break, he walks out of the room, seemingly walks out of the, te- the hotel, never to be seen again. That goes against, I think, everything uh, that we experience in our daily lives. People just do not leave rooms and buildings and cars and work and subways and planes for no reason, but of course on Unfound and all these other true crime uh, podcasts and shows, these things happen and we're always left puzzled. And so any, I know many of you saw this story. This was, I, I think, a story that got a lot of attention out there when she went missing. Anybody have any insight into why this girl would have done this? Um, I'm guessing, you know, uh, we're never going to find out if she had any sort of psychological problems. Could it be that she and this friend of hers uh, might have been doing, um, you know, a drug like ecstasy or something that caused her to freak out and get paranoid all of a sudden and, and run off? I know for me, although it's not happened like in almost a year now, once in a while I get kind of a uh, a panic attack. Like I said, I, I had them a few some years ago, and then I went quite a few years without any. And then the week of Thanksgiving last year, so we're coming up on that in a week, I had one hit me out of nowhere. And it totally feels... Like you are, maybe some of you have had them too. It totally feels like you are completely losing your mind. You're having an out of body experience. 
you're feeling all of the thoughts that you've ever had in your entire life trying to make it to the forefront of your brain at one time. And I remember the first time I had one of those happened, I had the feeling of like, you know, you know, it was, it was down in my place in Madeira beach. And, uh, you know, I had that sudden, you know, f- what is it? Flight or fight. And I had a, for a, a moment there, it was like, man, I just want to open this front door and just run. But I didn't do that. Instead, what I did, I did open the door. I went and stood outside and I was like, if I'm having a stroke or something, I want somebody to see me lying down here on the street. Maybe somebody will stop because I knew if I even tried to call 911 at the time, I might not have time to do that. Luckily, it subsided. And I know like I can feel it coming on even like the one last year. I know what to do now to kind of um, make it go away, even though it takes time. So in a way, I, I kind of know how it can feel. You have these, these feelings rush over you. Why I was able to uh, control it right in that moment that first time, I don't know. But I did think I was losing my mind. And I'm telling you, when that happens, uh, even last year when that happened, I think it was on a Tuesday. I think it happened the day after I did that Brian Schaefer video. The day after that is when it happened. I'm telling you, my, my brain did not feel right for a week. It just felt totally spaced out, totally. In fact, I, I um, you know, I think I mentioned it here. I talked about it, I think, on a live show. Talked to many people about it. So I wonder if that was going, what was going through Alyssa Bacchus's, or not Alyssa, I know an Alyssa Bacchus, Bas- Trinity Bass, uh, Bacchus. I know an Alyssa Bacchus, by the way, uh, for totally different reasons. Um, but Trinity Bacchus, Bacchus, I wonder if that, what was going through her head. So through her head. So what uh, is everybody saying? Fairy says when people are depressed, it can be a quick decision. Sadly, Uh, fairy says, my guess is the other girl made a move on her. That's interesting. Uh, Paula, the girls had a disagreement. Certainly possible. Carrie panic attacks are super scary. I really thought I was having a heart attack and dieting and dying. Yeah. I, I, the first time I had one, I thought I was having a stroke, Carrie. I didn't feel anything from like the neck down. Everything was fine from the neck down, but it was all up here. Valerie, this is a good live show tonight. Thanks, Valerie. I, I try to do my best. Fairy, I agree, Valerie. Uh, thanks. Jasmine, did you see my question on Facebook? Jasmine, I do have your question. I'm going to get to it. Thank you. Um, so it's very sad. And uh, the, the title of this Friday's, although I'm not ready to talk about it yet, the title of this Friday's episode is going to be called A Fine Line. And it's going to be about, do we realize how all of us, that, there, that really, even though we're fine right in the second, we're like millimeters away or just a split second away of not being all right. And, you know, I think back to what happened to Sheree's mom last Friday. You know, in a split second, everything changes. This is the way I think about this. And, you know, this is something that I wonder if family members who miss, who have loving, who have loved ones that go missing like this, 
you know, this is something that we need to think about more and more and more. That just because a person is fine, fine now does not mean that person is going to be fine an hour from now or even a minute from now. Very, very difficult and very sad. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that uh, we can get an answer to all of this. And um, unfortunately, sometimes once these people are found, we never get any information about after that. The, the family never posts anything. Well, here's what we found out. That would certainly help the rest of us to kind of understand our own lives and maybe understand some of these disappearances and try to start thinking, are there people in my life that this could happen to as well? But that, that often doesn't happen. You know, once uh, a person is found in a situation like this, maybe the family just wants to keep everything private and we can't learn much from it. it, it but learning about why this happened could help happened, could help somebody else. Could. Very, very, very possible. It's very sad. Just don't know. Um, uh, hey, hello, Jill. What's up to you, Jill? Mayor says, wow, sounds scary and unsettling, and I felt like that too. I know. I've had that happen like five or six times. Um, like I said, it was uh, a year ago. It'll be a year ago. This coming, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, it'll be a year ago that, that I had the last one. And I was sitting on my bed. I was doing some unfound work. And all it took was me looking at my computer right here. And I looked up at the TV and boom. It was, I just saw stars. And I was just totally, I can remember going to Thanksgiving over at my brother's two days later. And my mind was still not right. It was still all messed up. But, um, but it takes a while. And I went, uh, of course, I talked to my sports psychologist about it. I went and talked to my doctor about it. I even had an MRI done to make sure I didn't have any tumors up there or anything. Every, no, I, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody has any answers. Nobody has any answers. I still don't know what it was. And it's happened to me like five or six times. I don't know. My pulse doesn't go up. It's just everything up here is completely scrambled. All right, Jasmine, since you asked... Uh, Ferry says it is a chemical imbalance. Well, I'm certainly imbalanced, uh, Ferry. Um, Jasmine, I'm going to answer your question now. Why don't police sometimes take cases seriously, maybe a person risk level or lifestyle? Do you think it's something that Congress can change this so it can help all people, even if that person has, has a lifestyle and not exactly so-called normal? Uh, my opinion, Jasmine, is the last thing you want any uh, you know, kind of legislation on any of this. Um, this is something that has to be, uh, ingrained in, uh, police officers before they ever get on the job. This is why, you know, I'm trying to do what I can, trying to get to as many schools as I can talking to students who are criminal justice majors. I don't know how many of them are eventually going to be, um, you know, police officers, maybe a lot of them will end up working for Amazon for all I know. I don't know. But that's where it needs to start. I realize the police officers, while when they get there in those first few moments, filling out the paperwork, it's very difficult to tell what's going on. 
There's a missing person. A family is upset. They're giving uh, the police officer all this information and, you know, just filling out the boxes, name, age, height, weight, hair color, everything. And, uh, there's nothing that any, any there's not anything that a law is going to do. Uh, this is something that has to be ingrained in them that they just have to realize that it's important. Uh, easy for me to talk. They're, they're put in very difficult situations, especially when um, you know we're talking about, as you put it, Jasmine. Uh, people who have lifestyles that are not so called normal. So maybe we have prostitutes or the homeless. People like that, you know, the issue, of course, is that these people go missing for extended periods of time and then all of a sudden show up alive somewhere. And it's and to them, it's like, what's the big deal? What, what, do you, what were you worried about? And then there's the time where that person goes missing and doesn't come back at all. And the tough part is trying to determine between the times where they are going to come back and then that final time when they don't come back. And my belief is that the only way you can do that is to understand disappearances very well, knowing it when you see it, knowing it, knowing when something compared to all the other times seems different this time. And right now, uh, the problem is when police officers show up to take missing police report, they just treat them all the same, except for children. Children are different. Everybody else, it's just all the same. Pretty much, unless you're some dignitary or senator or something. They don't, they're not paying attention uh, to what the family is saying. And even if they are, they don't know the words to look for. They don't know the right questions to ask because it's through asking questions that we can start to determine what kind of disappearance this is. And is this person coming back? Is this person not coming back? problem is police officers don't know the right question to ask. They ask questions, but there are specific questions given what the person who wants you to fill out the report, the 911 caller, is telling you. That's what's important. Anybody can just show up and ask questions. You have to know the most important questions to ask. And so that's going to point you in a direction. And they don't know that. And it's, and it's going to take a while uh, to do that because I got to tell you, um, I think I'm the first person who even talks about this. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody else in true crime or at the FBI or anywhere else that's talking about any of this. Why they aren't, why it hasn't occurred to somebody before me, I don't know. It, it, you know, it became very obvious to me very early on in Unfound's existence. But on the other hand, that's just kind of how my mind works. So, Jasmine, uh, that's my answer for you. Thank you for the question, by the way. Um, Carrie says, I couldn't catch my breath. My chest felt like a ton of bricks were on it. My arm hurt. All the symptoms of a heart attack. Was sitting in a car in work parking lot ready to go clock in. Yeah, and the, nothing like that, Carrie. Every, for me, it's all up in my head. No chest pains, no arm pains, nothing. It's all in my head. Of course, it's all in my head. Mara, that is so weird. I wonder what brought it on. That's good you got checked out anyway. Oh, well, that's definitely not cool. It is not cool, Mara. Um, I don't know what it is. 
Uh, if I knew, I'd tell all of you so it can help all of you. All right. I want to talk about a killer clown. I got about 18 minutes left. I want to talk about this. And I want to talk about uh, this little kid, Michael Vaughn. There's maybe been some movement in that case. And then we'll talk about Friday's disappearance. And then we'll be done. Uh, Florida judges rejected defense attorney's bids for accused killer clown Sheila Keen Warren to be freed from jail pending trial and for prosecutors to be sanctioned for her their handling of the case court records show. Keen Warren, the woman accused of gunning down her husband's former wife, I'll get to that, in late May 1990, remember, 32 years ago, while dressed as a clown, will remain behind bars as she awaits trial decades after the alleged murder. Florida Circuit Judge Scott Suskauer on Friday acknowledged the delays in this case, especially the most recent delays attributable to the state, but rejected the defense's motion for Keen Warren's pretrial release. In the motion, attorney, attorney Greg Rosenfeld argued that his client has spent five years in jail as she awaits trial. Rosenfeld instead sought house arrest with restrictions. On Tuesday, he told Fox News uh, Digital his client is not guilty. She did not commit this crime, he wrote in an emailed statement. The defense team will continue to fight, and Ms. Keene Warren is looking forward to having her day in court. Marlene Warren, 40, was shot and killed at her Wellington, Florida home on Saturday, May 26, 1990. I just was a freshman in college, officials have said. She had just finished breakfast with her son and his friends around 10.45 a.m. when they spotted the vehicle roll into the driveway. A person who was allegedly wearing a red nose, an orange-haired wig, and face paint, face painted, exited the sedan, and walked to the home's front door. The person dressed as a clown was carrying a flower arrangement and two balloons. One balloon reportedly bore a picture of Snow White. The other was emblazoned with the words, you're the greatest. Marlene answered the front door, and as the clown offered the items to her, Witnesses heard a gunshot and Marlene fell to the ground. The person dressed as a clown calmly walked away to the LeBaron, a Chrysler LeBaron, remember those, and drove away. Warren suffered a gunshot wound to the face and was rushed to the local hospital where she died two years later. Police arrested Keen Warren 27 years later on September 26, 2017. Investigators learned Keen Warren who was married to someone else at the time of the murder, went on to wed Marlene's husband, Michael Warren, in 2002. So, so just so you can all understand this, she murders Michael Warren's wife in 1990, then married him 12 years later. That's crazy. The pair had been living in Tennessee where they operated a restaurant. A grand jury voted to charge Keen Warren with Marlene's murder. Police then tracked her to Washington County, Virginia, where they arrested her without incident. She was 50-54 at the time. Um, in Friday's latest ruling, Suskauer further rejected Rosenfeld's push for sanctions against prosecutors who produced a clown sighting file just eight days before Keen Warren was scheduled to go to trial and despite previous claims that no such documents existed. The 25-page file contains information related to other reports of clown sightings in the area at the time of Warren's slaying court's record show, court record show. It allegedly includes the names and contact information related for roughly 40 credible clown sightings leads for around the time of the murder. Rosenfeld argued that prosecutors failed to disclose additional details 
of exculpatory evidence, including interviews with a man who allegedly confessed to the murder. So I want to stress this again. This woman, uh, uh, Keen Warren, allegedly murdered Marlene uh, Warren in 1990. Twelve years later, this alleged killer married Marlene Warren's husband. So, that's a long way to wait to marry somebody if you wanted uh, the wife to be dead, so you could move in with the guy. You know, move on in, move on in on the guy and marry him. I don't know what to make of this. It very well could be that she did it. Um, did she have a LeBaron at the time? Uh, were police at the time ever at the time ever to ever to figure out where these balloons and everything had been bought? This is I'm not that up in all of this, but I just found this story so interesting because it's somebody dressed up as a clown committing a murder, whether it was this one or not, but that if she did it, how could she have ever predicted? that in murdering this woman that 12 years later she would be able to marry this guy did she did she murder this woman so she could eventually marry this guy and it just took that long for Michael Warren to be convinced to marry her wow that's a crazy story um crazy crazy story um Carrie says, now my body does fun stuff like start coughing uncontrollably just before a panic attack. I roll. Puma says, I remember this on the American uh, America's Most Wanted show. So when this happened back then, this was on America's Most Wanted, Puma. Okay, I, that, I don't think I should be surprised by that. Any time um, there's going to be a person dressed up as a clown who sh- shoots somebody, that's going to make news. It's just hard putting that all together. If she married this guy a year later then I guess maybe might even think that he had something to do with it. If it's even a couple years later, then you start thinking, well, she murdered this woman. So this guy would be single. So she could kind of, you know, run into this guy somewhere and would know, Oh, Hey, I know your wife's murdered. You have my sympathies kind of, you know, smooth up to him. So she could be the next wife, but 12 years, man, that takes a lot of patience. Doesn't it? She probably did it, but I certainly um, – if she d- did it, I certainly want to know what went on those 12 years between this murder and then those two finally marrying. I, I, were they like dating for like years and years and years or you know, crazy story? So I wanted to talk – you know, got to talk about a killer clown even if they're not from space. Uh, one last story, and uh, this is the disappearance of Michael Vaughn, this little five-year-old who went missing in Fruit, Fruitland, uh, Idaho. This is a, a, an unfound now disappearance um, that I covered back last year. Police have arrested a woman suspected to be involved in the disappearance of a Fruitland boy and charged her with a failure to report a death. Sarah Wandra, 35, of Fruitland, was arrested Friday after police served a search warrant at the Red Wing Street residence she shares with her husband, Stacy Wandra, according to a probable cause affidavit. The residence was the site of a weekend police search and excavation in connection with the disappearance of Michael Vaughn. It's weird. Michael Vaughn is, uh, although I haven't seen him recently, he's actually a disc golfer here in Pinellas County. 
Michael went missing on July 27th, 2021, when he was five years old. Police haven't said publicly what evidence they're looking for, but they brought cadaver dogs to search the yard. By Monday afternoon, officials had not said whether they found evidence or remains at the residence. According to court documents, police, for, police forced ent uh, entry into the Wondrous home around 9.30 p.m. Friday, so a couple days ago, where they found Sarah Wondra in the living room. She was detained and read a copy of the search warrant. When I got to the portion that read murder, she said, did you just say murder? Multiple times, a Fruitland police officer wrote in the avenues, David. She also said, I have never murdered anyone. Officials say Wandra maintained that she definitely did not kill that boy and said the most high God already told me who did it. She reportedly told police, oh, wow, wow. The most high God just told me that Stacy was the one who killed him and buried him in the yard of the neighbor's house. Stacy, of course, is her husband. When asked later to show police where the boy was buried, according to the affidavit, she told police of a spot near the entry of her residence and said Stacy had buried him in the backyard by the shed. Police said by that point they had begun hand-digging a portion of the Wondrous Yard based on information received from Stacy, who had not been arrested or charged by Monday afternoon. It wasn't clear when or why police had spoken with Stacy Wondra. Sarah Wondra was arrested and told police, God just told me that Stacy was the one who did it, adding that she knew the body was in the neighbor's yard because that's what Stacy just told me. She then corrected herself and said that's what God told her, according to the affidavit. She allegedly reiterated to police that she had nothing to do with Michael's disappearance. She said her husband buried Michael in the backyard by the shed, but wasn't the one who actually harmed the boy. She said instead that a man identified only as Adrian had been the one that had done it, and he was scared to tell anybody. Police said cadaver dogs had been called in over the weekend. Sarah Wandra was scheduled for arraignment at 1.30 p.m. Monday, which is today. Uh, like I said, this was an unfound now that I did last year, uh, maybe a month after Michael went missing. Uh, my, you know, and having kind of followed it, as much as I've been able to, I think the public perception has been that somebody that the story that was out there was not exactly true. The story was that Michael was home with a family member and somehow Michael got out and walked down the street, never to be seen again. And I'm, I'm just not sure kind of a, what would we call that disappearance, the walk off. But there were a lot of people that were downing the story. Did something happen? at his family's house and they're just saying that Michael walked away. And if you go back and watch that unfound now, which I did not have time to do in preparation for this live show, but I went over a little bit of a map, really not a lot of places that the little kid could have gone. I mean, if we're to believe that he walked off by himself and, you know, died in the woods or somewhere nearby, there really wasn't a lot of places to go. And so, what kind of made sense to me and being that we all know the statistics on parents harming their children is that I was inclined to believe that something happened in that home and they just all covered up because they all thought they were going to get in trouble. Now you should know these wanderers, they don't really live that far away, just a, a couple blocks away from where Michael was last seen. What's hard to understand is what exactly happened here. Then I will tell you, Sarah Wonder doesn't sound like she, she has uh, all the marbles up there. 
I have nothing against people against people's belief in God or anything else, but this does seem like an odd response when police show up and she's told, Hey, we're looking for Michael one. And then she starts telling, saying that, well, God's talking to her and yeah, my husband did it and, and everything else. All I can say is if this is the reason that this house got raided, let's just say, for example, that Sarah Wondra was out in public somewhere and she was rattling on and on about Michael Vaughn's disappearance and talking about God and talking about that I think my husband did it. Maybe this is what <laughs> caused this search warrant to be hatched in the first place. Well, if that's the case, um, I'm not thinking they're going to find anything. She just doesn't sound to me like to be sane. Uh, given, once again, I'm not judging her for talking about God. What I'm looking at are the circumstances and how she's responding to them, which don't seem to be very logical. Uh, she's not lawyering up. She's, uh, of course, she said that she didn't, you know, cause the death of Michael Vaughn. But in the next breath, she's talking about, yeah, she knows who did it. And it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And so I would, um, unless there's recent information within the last couple hours, they actually did find Michael Vaughn's uh, body on this property. His remains buried there. Just reading this article, I'm not inclined to think they're going to find anything because I, I just don't think that this sounds very sane. It seems to me that police are looking, they probably it's a cold case, nobody's coming forward, and then all of a sudden they're hearing about this Sarah Wonder Woman who's talking about Michael Vaughn and maybe rattling on to the neighbors about all of this, and they catch wind of it and say, oh, we got to go do this. That's sometimes how things happen. You know, for example, look at the disappearance of Robin Abrams and how many places they've dug up, how many basements they've dug up over the last 30 years. Find nothing. So I would temper your expectations um, regarding all of this. I've, I, of course, hope that Michael Vaughn's still alive. But if he's dead and something happened to him, there's nothing in this article that would cause me to believe he's actually on that property, my opinion. Just watch. 24 hours from now, I'll be proven wrong. We'll just have to see. But being that it was an Unfound Now episode, I had uh, to talk about it. Um, Charles says that's definitely a wild story regarding the killer clown. It certainly is, Charles. Uh, Paula, they have that hearing on YouTube. I may have to watch that, Paula. Puma, could they not have lived together during that time, just not get married until 12, 12? Puma, that's very possible. Um, it very well may be that those two started dating right after his wife got killed. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows that. Uh, maybe their marriage records can be found on, of course, we know they got married on 2002. I have some ways to figure out if they lived at the same address for a certain amount of time. Maybe I could look that up. It is a wild story, though. Um, you know, I think as a guy, uh, if my wife had been murdered, I would be suspicious of any new woman who came into my life right after that. I don't care who she is. I don't care if it was Bo Derek. I would be suspicious of that, of that woman's motives. Until I found out who actually murdered my wife, I don't think I would be doing any dating. 
I wouldn't be getting married again. Of course, I've never been married at all, but you know what I mean. I would be, I, I think if my wife got married under those circumstances, I would be suspicious of everybody. Clown drove up to our house. My kids are there. Our kids are there. And this person, I would be suspicious of everybody. The UPS driver, the clerk at the 7-Eleven, my supervisor at work. I'd be suspicious of everybody if I was that guy. That he went and got married again while his his, uh, wife's killer has never been caught. Maybe he had something to do with it. Maybe that's where we need to go. Um, the real, maybe if she had that information from somewhere else, oh, the Sarah Wandra doesn't want to divulge from who. So the story she replaces with God, maybe the real, then there's a possibility that there's some real info in there. Maybe I think some real leads investigators get, do get told in a kind of unhinged way. Surely. So the real good way to put it. All right, let's move on. Um, there's some other things I want to get to. There's just no time. Uh, tonight two hours i filled it up i packed it in um uh unfound was on a couple lists uh best room mystery podcast for 2022 one of the downsides the person who said it was a good podcast one of the downsides was be ready for some heavy content that was a negative for unfound be ready from with my little quote fingers up be ready for some heavy content was a negative I got to tell you, people, sometimes I just do not get the true crime community. I just don't get it. All right. Uh, Friday, Jamie Valdez, who went missing. Uh, depends how you want to put it. Uh, Ozark, Arkansas, or Boonville, Arkansas. He'd just gotten married. Speaking of marriage, uh, he'd gotten married in May of 2021. This is a very, very new disappearance. He went missing on June 9th of 2021. And in May, uh, he had gotten married uh, to a woman, and but I don't know how smoothly things were going. She was living; they were living with some of her family members, and there was a brother who has a criminal record and actually has had some uh, violent charges against him recently. But the story went that uh, Jamie and his new wife got into an argument. And he took off and then he went to see her at her work and she couldn't talk to him. So he went home, packed up his car with some clothes, was never seen again. This all happened on June 9th. And then about a week later, his car was found very close to where he grew up, uh, close to a cemetery that he knew very well. Uh, Somebody came across his car and it just happened to be somebody connected to his wife. Uh, some of the electronics of the car had been ripped out of it, certainly done after the car was put there. These, uh, it was ripped out that, um, the car could not have been driven if this stuff was like it was. So that is the disappearance. Jamie Valdez, Boonville, Arkansas went missing on June 9th. It's a disappearance. I'm going to call a fine line. And his sister, Sean Claiborne, is the guest on both audio and video. Well, that's it uh, for this live show tonight. Do not forget, before you go, give this uh, episode, uh, this live show, a thumbs up. If you are listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or sometime in the future, please give Unfound Live, the podcast, a nice review on whatever app you use. Went through a lot of stuff tonight. In fact, uh, who was it that said, uh, I want to just quote this again. Somebody said, um, 
Oh, where is it? Valerie says, this is a good live show tonight. I agree. I hope everybody felt the same way. Talked about some personal stuff. Please keep Cherie in your thoughts and prayers. My assistant did some polling, the Dr. Telesco show. Uh, talked about some stats from Unfound. Talking about Talked about Peggy and Patty McDaniel and all sorts of good stuff. The stats, uh, Michael Vaughn, uh, the killer clown, um, Delphi murders. Got a lot in tonight. I feel really good about this live show. So that's it. Good night to everybody. Think about uh, supporting this live show, the podcast, by becoming a member on this YouTube channel or Patreon or PayPal. Good night. See you, Charlie.